This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining in, redefining the sales game. And today, we actually have somebody who knows a little something about the sales game, Mr. Ian Koniak, who is a world-renowned sales coach, trainer, developer. He's going to talk to us today about habits, time management, and other things that will make us successful, but most importantly, about getting up off your rear end and actually doing something out there in the real world. Ian, what's up, man? What's up, David? Hey, Kyle. Great to be here, guys. Yeah, man. So why don't you kind of give everybody the 10,000-foot overview of who Ian is, where he came from, what he did before he started his current venture? I started as an English teacher in Venezuela. Before I got into sales, I was a teacher. Go figure. (laughs) How did you end up in Venezuela? (laughs) I'm sorry? How did you end up in Venezuela? I graduated college. I, I studied uh, psychology, went to Berkeley, and then basically didn't want to go work a real job. So I decided to figure out how to continue traveling. And there was a program that um, had externships where they send you abroad to work on random jobs. And I said, well, teaching could be fun. And, and they had no experience or credentials required. They just said, um, you know, you need to speak English and you can't speak Spanish. That's what they wanted. They wanted somebody who didn't speak Spanish so they could only fully speak in English. And so I said, sure, I'll go for it. And this was, uh, yeah, this was 20 years ago. And I bring that up because I, I never expected to get into sales. It wasn't something I really envisioned doing. Um, but I ended up uh, falling in love when I was in South America and my visa ran out and I had to come back to the U.S. with no girlfriend, no money, no job. And my challenge is a country was, song waiting to happen, man. <laughs> how are you not? Yeah. How are you not like a country music artist with that backstory? Because I'm in LA. We don't have a lot of country music in, in these parts. It's, it's a uh, it's different kind of music, but, but fundamentally, yeah. I, I mean, it was depressing. It was really like, I went from like being fully independent and having these amazing adventures and traveling to moving back in with my parents and, Basically, in order for me to continue this relationship I was in, I had to save enough money to not only uh, bring her to the U.S. and buy a plane ticket, but also to pay for her college because the only kind of visa we can get is a student visa. And they say the power of love is is incredible. And I'm, I'm a walking testament. I was willing to 
you know, forego any career ambition that I had with teaching or anything else to go basically get into a profession that um, could make as much money as possible. And that brought me into sales. And I think it's a good segue to like habits because, you know, a lot of people uh, in sales are, are not necessarily self-motivated. And that's like the one thing you need to be when you're in sales, you need to be self-motivated. You don't have anyone telling you, you have to go and do this and that, especially in something like insurance sales or where you're on a commission only type program. It's you're running your own business. And so for me, that was my hard entry into sales is I, I had to take a job and in, in, in basically it almost had zero base salary, just kind of a guarantee in the beginning. And I started selling copiers door to door, selling photocopy machines. And I was told, you know, if you just do the activity and you do the work, um, then you're going to make uh, 50000 your first year, 75000 your second year, and 100000 plus your third year. And this was in, in um, 2002 when I first started, so about 20 years ago. And that was a lot of money, and it would be enough for me to pay to pay for the visa, pay for the college, pay for the ticket. I'm like, tell me what I need to do. I will do whatever it takes. So it wasn't a matter of like self-motivation. It wasn't a yeah. matter of wanting to get up and do it. It was like, what do I have to do to go get my girlfriend here? Because this situation sucks and I want to get as, you know, as quickly out of my parents' house as I can and, 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 you know, be with the person that I love. So that was kind of how I got my start in sales um, 20 years ago. And I spent 10 years in that industry selling, you know, more of a transactional copiers. And then I transitioned into um, software where I sell, I, I sold a product called salesforce.com, which is the largest CRM product in the world. And and I um, ended up becoming their number one account executive for the large enterprise space. So I had this evolution of like door-to-door copiers to strategic selling where, you know, you make over seven figures. And I, and I did that in uh, 20 years and basically had, had so much success that I said, you know what, this isn't really filling my cup anymore. This isn't something that is is truly making me happy. I have the money. I have all the you know success that you could think of, but something's missing. And that's when I started coaching and, and training others and helping others to really um, achieve the type of results I knew they're capable of. And and that was over a year ago. And and I retired from corporate sales. And now I've been running my own business ever since, teaching kind of what I did to become a top performer in in both of those interest, industries. Frankly, and it's been a it's been great so far. Those are two really brutal industries too, man. I mean, let's call it what it is. If you can succeed in selling copiers and selling any software, I don't care. I mean, Salesforce, I think some people would probably look at it from the standpoint of, well, Salesforce is like the household name and CRM at this point. It probably yeah. sells itself. I know better, right? But if you can sell those two things and be successful and have progressive responsibility or whatever else you could do anything in my in my book i mean you could also throw credit card processing and payroll into the mix with those two sure. and kyle actually came from office supplies which may be worse but <laughs> it's the same kind of thing right i mean kyle you you should be able to relate to that directly though because what ian said about how if he just goes out and does the activity the numbers fall is pretty much the same thing they told you your first day at quill yeah what <laughs> that was a hundred percent. And so, yeah, I mean, I sold the office supplies B2B for like over five years, which is an insanely long time to do that. Um, you know, copiers were part of that. I would sell people printers. I would see that they were spending, you know, whatever, $400 a month on toner. And I'd be like, dude, 
your printer's got to go. Why don't you buy this new one? It's going to do, it's going to do double the pages and it's, you know, whatever it, it, it's the same cost of the printer now. And so like it ends up paying for itself, whatever, but it was tough. Um, so, like the, the numbers thing was huge. Like they were just like, look, you've got to go out, you've got to see this amount of doors. That's going to lead to this amount of, you know, conversations with decision makers. And if you have X amount of conversations with decision makers a day, you'll close two accounts. And, and that was just, and that was simply the goal. So I totally relate with that, but like, I'm sure we'll get more into this and how that developed you. But I was just curious after, you know, you kind of brought that up, like what was, what was your biggest takeaway other than like the insane amount of pressure that you had put on yourself for like wanting to, you know, get this money and, you know, get your girlfriend or whatever, like what was that like initially? And, and what was the, the biggest challenge for you? I mean, the first year I can, I can speak to the biggest challenge is that I had no sales experience. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I, I literally was handed a big binder and said, here, go learn the products. And then about a week later, go out into the field and, and go sell these $10,000 machines. They averaged, they weren't, you know, the small desktop printers. They were these big multifunction printers. And right. I, I literally did did not know what I was doing. In fact, I printed out a bunch of brochures, a trifold brochures with my business card stapled and was going door to door. And and it was uh, it was massively challenged because I um, was in Koreatown and I, I didn't speak Korean. I didn't know the culture, um, and I, I frankly um, was was shut out of buildings. I had security guards literally chasing me out of buildings because there was no soliciting sign because I was going door to door and I wasn't allowed to be in the building. So I had to like sneak past security guards. I used to have a system where I went up and down different odd numbers so they couldn't catch me. I mean, it was, it was brutal. And, and the challenge- So here's my question though. Weren't you prepared for that to a certain degree by going to Venezuela and teaching English and not knowing Spanish at all? Like that probably had to give you the ability to adapt on your feet relatively quickly in weird situations like that. Yeah, I I, I'd say, yeah. I mean, being adaptable and flexible and, and, and figuring what you need to do to pivot and figure it out. I think when you, when you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, like going to Venezuela and teaching, you're, you're definitely going to, going to be a little more resourceful than the average, average Joe. But, you know, honestly, it still wasn't easy. It was, it was extremely difficult because of the rejection and, you know, you're working so hard and seeing no results. In fact, I didn't sell anything my first three months and then I broke my arm. Right. So I'm a snowboarder and I did some stupid trick and bashed my arm and, and it was a really bad break. It was like smack in the middle of my bicep and I, I couldn't, couldn't walk and I didn't want to get surgery. And so I ended up um, being out of the count on medical leave Oof. for a couple months. So now I have, you know, several months that not selling and another couple months where I'm not even in the field. So now I have to compress my timeline to like from, from 12 months down to five months or to seven months where I missed five. And so I remember I came back and I was just every day, I will do what it takes. I will do what it takes. It really yeah. got me wanting it that much more. And it taught me the biggest lesson was it taught me about being resilient and, and really like, Hey, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And when I came back, it was just all, I don't know what happened, but everything clicked. And all of a sudden I just came with a more, you know, just, I I'd say vigor, more vengeance, more determination. And I, I was a lot more confident and I started bringing in my manager. I actually, this is a big takeaway. So when you don't know what you're doing, bring in someone, don't try and figure it out, like get help, get mentorship. So I brought in my manager and it's like, all I'm going to do is 
get him in front of customers. So I had a ride along day once a week and I would bring him and I'd pack in six customers and I'd just shut up and watch him. And then by learning and watching what he did, I started, you know, mirroring it and modeling it. And then I actually started doing it on my own. And, and, you know, within um, that end of that year, by December, I had saved enough to bring my girlfriend here. She came in January and uh, moved out and was supporting both of us and putting her through college. So it really was for me a matter of like the experience and the repetition is what gives you the skill. Don't think you need the skill to actually go out and do the job. In fact, you're not going to get the skill from a book. You're not going to get it from learning on a podcast. No offense to any podcast out there. You're going to get it through pounding the pavement, actually getting experience, facing rejection, talking to customers, and nothing does happen until you're in front of a customer. So I, I took that with me and I ended up setting our company record of 42 months in a row hitting quota. And then I got promoted and ended up, uh, ended up growing that business to um, you know, we had 70 reps and 10 sales managers when I left to go move to Salesforce. So I, I definitely took that kind of activity, um, yields pipeline, yields results approach. And then I get to Salesforce and it's like, I fell on my ass because it wasn't just about the quantity. It wasn't just the volume. It actually became a quality game because when you're selling software, you're changing the way companies do business. You're changing fundamentally. It's not like a copier where you're just changing a machine or a lease payment or something that's not affecting. You are fundamentally changing how they work when you go into software. So I had to start all over again at Salesforce and figure that out. But you know, I had the resilience. I had the discipline. I had the tenacity where I knew I was going to you know, make it, make it work. And even after a couple of years failing at Salesforce, I ended up, you know, turning that ship around and, and getting to a very high level there as well. So there were totally different industries, but I think I always drew upon that like deep discipline, deep tenacity that I had in my first year, you know, and, and, and that just stayed with me forever in my sales career. And you get a lot of the software SaaS people that just fundamentally, um, they don't hustle or they don't necessarily have that grind that you get from an industry like payroll or copiers or office supplies. And you put them in that industry and man, they could just make, you know, lemonade from lemons, go into the worst territory and turn it into something amazing because they are used to that like bulldog approach of just not giving up. So I think it's a really healthy combination to, you know, to, to combine quality with quantity. And um, when you get the both of it, then then you could literally go out and, and do anything. So when I quit my my corporate job and started, you know, my online business, doing online coaching and doing sales training for companies, like it was like I didn't skip a beat. I turned that business around and grew it all just because of um, the skills that I had developed as a person. So I didn't have coaching experience. I didn't have entrepreneurship experience, yet I could still build this business very quickly because of I'd always kind of run my sales business that way. So now I spend a lot of time teaching those principles because I do believe no matter what you sell, you could sell, you know, um, insurance or, or SaaS or copiers or anything. And the same fundamental success habits will apply uh, and make you successful. It's not the experience of the industry. It's the person that actually shows up and then is resourceful enough to go and figure it out and then, and then, and then learn that, that business regardless of what they're, what they're selling. So is the training and coaching that you do right now, is that a virtual business for you or does it have an in-person component to it? And, and the reason why I'm asking the questions is those are three very different sales that you're making. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're selling a piece of fixed equipment that a business has, 
that's going to be, uh, I mean, I'm sure that they have lease, uh, leases and all that stuff involved. I get that. But the, the software play is probably the one that's the closest to what we do in the insurance world. Because with a company like Salesforce, you've got that monthly trail of recurring revenue that's coming in yep. after the initial hit, right? And if you do your coaching business right, that should be too. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in, you know, you pr- you went from what I perceived to be a business where it was a, probably a pretty good sized hit on the front end as a salesperson, yeah. But then the trail wasn't nearly what it is. Software retention becomes very very important, right? Uh, yeah, on the copiers, big ticket item. You're not going to be going back every single month and selling them another copy machine, right? No. So you're working referrals, giving getting introductions that way, making sure you're taking care of your client that they're happy. You move to software now. There's a, a retention piece that becomes very important because it's just like the insurance industry in that you can buy the software, but you're going to have to pay the right. monthly fee no. to have it, and it's going to continuously roll in. And the nice part about the virtual training programs that are out there, I know this because I have one, is that there's nice monthly recurring revenue mm-hmm. involved. So it seems to me like you gravitated from where you started. You got a little taste of what that monthly trail was like yeah. and then moved into something where you can have that all the time. Yeah, I never heard that comparison, but it's 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 very accurate. And, and in fact, I took what I learned in SaaS around customer attention, customer success, um, and, and renewals and, and built my business plan and my business model around, you know, that, that ongoing, almost, I call it coaching as a service, right? Coaching as a service platform, just like software as a service, because it is a one-year membership model. I used to do one-on-one coaching and it was like pay per hour and, you know, have time with me and I help you. And you have a set number of required hours that I need to um, take on a client. I started with like 12 hours minimum, you know, 12 weeks, one hour a week. And I'm like, this doesn't scale. This doesn't scale at all. So yeah, I quickly yeah. I quickly pivoted and I created a one-year membership platform where people pay a set fee per year and they have access to me in a group setting. They have access to online assets and training portals and templates. And it's very much modeled after a SaaS program. In fact, I built my site where they can pay online and sign up just like you could if you sign up for Zoom or for Salesforce.com. And so I, I, I never really thought about that, but that's like – that is the crux of, of what the business model is, is recurring revenue. Now, at that point, I charge annually now because if you have a monthly subscription, even if it's a required you know, a number of payments, even if it's not cancelable, you still have people with credit card change. or And I don't want to be in that business of collection. So now I'm requiring annual right. payments or three payments for the year just so I can get that cash flow up front. But it's very much based around customer retention, customer success, um, recurring revenue stream, and it's way more scalable. And, and frankly, it, it is it is like a SaaS company. Well, and think about this too, man. When you're when you're coaching individuals that lack the skill set they need to learn from you, they're the greatest cheerleaders in the world when they have right, that success. Right. Scaling, I mean, look, let's call it what it is. There's a lot of crap on the internet when it comes to online coaching and yeah. everything else. You know, you have to, as a consumer, you have to wade through it, right? I'd like to think <laughs> that every program out there is like Masterclass. I love Masterclass. That's my new TV that I watch. I go, I learn a, a new trick or or whatever. You know, I, I learn to negotiate from Chris Voss. I learn how to make brisket and pulled pork from Aaron Franklin. I can learn how to be a public speaker, whatever. But I pay $200 for that for the year. And that's what I watch in the evenings to make myself a better person, right? It's very, very easy for me to do that. And as a result, 
I've won some accounts using some of the techniques that I learned from Chris Voss. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of his. I've probably sold thousands of his books because I talk about right. it every time I get up and speak in public. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about it on the podcast. The coaching thing is no different in that if you can go in and you you can drive change in somebody's life and you can get them on the right track and keep them going in that direction and it changes their financial future and that of their family, there's really no marketing that needs to be done, in my opinion, because that person's going to continuously be feeding you new leads so every true. time you turn around. It's true, but you need to capture. I mean, what I'm doing now is I'm capturing um, the testimonials. I'm capturing the impact that this program has had on their revenue. I'm capturing the deals. Oh, absolutely. So then I can just tell their story or have them tell their story. You know, there's also affiliate programs you can do. There's, there's very, but you're right. If you have a core base of people, that's why I stopped taking clients. I just want to make every program, every person in the program successful. If you have a core base, not only are they going to renew, which is going to make it a lot easier than having to go buy and acquire new companies. But they're also going to tell their friends. They're going to tell mm -hmm. people on their team. They're going to tell other colleagues. And that's already happening. You know, and, and I get calls every day um, for people who say, you know, someone was in your program. And, and the key, I think, is to make sure with, with SaaS or with insurance or anything where there's recurring revenue every year that they're renewing to make sure the customer's happy that they're getting value so i just started um building a pulse survey for you know my my clients that are in this new portal to find out what you know they were doing before what they're doing now how this program impacted them what value they've gotten and also if there's things that they want to see improvements on or if there's things that they are not getting value from or complaints, I want to capture those so I can get in front of it and make sure that they renew, right? Because a lot of times what you'll see is the people that are unhappy, are the ones who aren't as engaged. They're not the ones that are actually, you know, logging into the portal and taking the trainings, or maybe they're not going to the Zoom calls. So I want to actually take data and correlate that to their success and show, hey, people who actually do what they're supposed to do in the program are the ones who are getting results versus the ones who are not happy. So you always see... It's kind of like the haters, you know, sometimes you'll put out, a, I don't know if you guys ever get this, but um, I'm starting to get now and again, I'll get a hater that like, you know, bad mouths one of my videos or posts or something. That's, and it's always like, yeah. that just that means you're doing it right, man. That's it. Yeah. I mean, but when I look at it, it's always yeah. people that aren't my target audience. They, they either say open to work on their LinkedIn profile. They've got a big banner or they're like an engineer or someone that's totally unrelated. Like I don't get the haters. It's always an engineer, argue. man. It's always an engineer. I have a special needs son. Yeah, seriously. I have a, I have a special needs son and I don't post a lot about my family on LinkedIn because LinkedIn, I typically reserve for professional, but every now and again, if I've got a message that I want to get out to my audience, I will tie it back to something with family. And so this like two weeks ago, I had a post that went viral on LinkedIn and it was about my special needs son who, who was born with cerebral palsy and we were out working in the yard and he went in and figured out a way to sit flat on the floor and stick his arms through my backpack blower 
and wear it out like he was going to blow the driveway. And I just I just took a pic. My wife took a picture of it. We happened to have it, and it showed I was I was coming around. I had finished edging and everything, and I was getting ready to put the edger in the in the garage. And Ethan was standing there with this blower that's literally fifty percent of his body weight on his back. I don't know how he thought he was going to use it, and so I just put up there. This kid was <laughs> Dude, born it's probably more than that. Yeah, I said this kid was born with part of his brain missing, low white brain matter, cerebral palsy, and a treasure trove of other diagnoses that we don't even have yet as a result of the aforementioned. However, nothing will ever be too much for him to try to accomplish because he thinks he's just like everybody else, and we tell him no different. It was the damn engineer on the post that said, well, he should be wearing hearing protection and safety glasses with that blower. <laughs> Really? That's that's what you got out of it, guy. Well, here's a fun fact. Whatever, number one, nerd. the blower is electric. It doesn't produce. Number one, read what I do for a living, okay? It says, principle of Florida risk partners. You don't have to be a brainiac to figure out. I probably have something to do with insurance and risk management, right? So then the next thing that happened is, is I said, this thing is not nearly as loud as your garbage disposal, your vacuum cleaner. Do you have hearing protection for your wife? Or whoever cleans your home, you know, and then it just kept going on and on and, and like then then people piled on like Rick, you missed the point. The point was, and then finally it's like, listen, some other guy came in and he took the engineer side, and I was like, stop. You guys missed the fun. I mean, it said forget the message of the post. You missed one fundamental thing. My son has cerebral palsy. You're all making the assumption he has the manual dexterity to even pull the trigger and make the blower work. I'm not going to put every ounce of detail about his disability or his unique circumstances in the post. That wasn't the point. The point was so many of us out there allow ourselves to be limited because we think we can't do something when here's a kid who has every excuse in the world to never be able to accomplish anything, and he refuses to accept that as the status quo. That's the point of the post. Glad I could spell it out. But after like 1.2 million views in like 130 some shares and 700 and some comments, I step back and I look at it like, what are these people, where's the joy in these people's lives? Like, seriously, guy, you're an engineer. You took time away from engineering to come troll my LinkedIn post? I mean, what do you really do for a living? Well, that's it, man. Yeah. And so to, to, to that point, I'm glad he came right. on because the message actually got out to more people because this guy's acting like a douchebag on my post. Yeah, that's what I mean. People these days just sit on the freaking computer and, and hide behind their screens. And yeah, yeah, I I I, uh, I have a son on the special needs. He's on the autism spectrum, and um, I can relate. And, yeah. and and you know, the more personal you share, it's like that's gets an audience. That well, might what's not funny be though is I really didn't even viral, have to, in the, the only time I interacted was. To referee the other people that were getting on there catching my back, and I don't even know who they are. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. So I want to talk about something that you kind of referenced earlier, Ian, but not specifically. Maybe it was before we got on. We were talking about it, but you know the the tenacity that you had when you're going out and you haven't made a sale in three months, and then you broke your arm in like a hundred places, and you know whatever um, you know that limited you in what you're able to do, but you had that tenacity because you had something in mind, a why, right? Which is what you referenced before. So I, I feel like that's probably a big thing for producers um, who may be struggling is they don't have that, you know, they don't have, 
it's one thing to have goals and, and all that, but they've got to be specific, right? And like yours was really specific. You wanted to get your girlfriend over here, you know, um, and you had something that you were striving after. So talk about that for a minute and why that's so important for, for producers to have something like that. Well, I think fundamentally everybody reaches a point in life, especially if you're in sales or an entrepreneur where, which your, your clients are, I mean, all of them are entrepreneurs, right? They own their own business and you reach a point where what got you here won't get you there. In other words, you may have started with certain motivations or certain reasons, you know, get out of debt, maybe start a family, buy a house, you know, you're a producer and you get those things and you realize, okay, those things that I got or those initial things that I was striving for, now that I have them, what, what's next? And so I think every year, a, a best practice that I follow, and not just every year, I think every quarter, you have to do it regularly, is to update your vision. What, what are you trying to accomplish, right? If you don't have a clear vision, I'm not talking about short-term goals. I'm talking about long-term vision of what the hell you want for yourself, for your life, for your business. If you don't have that, you're just going to be going through the motions and doing the same thing, and it's going to feel pointless. It's going to, it's going to feel aimless, so it really is the, the, the difference between burnout and the difference between not having a direction are, are very similar, okay? They, they feel being aimless and, and, and feeling burnt out feels very, very similar, okay? So if you want to avoid burnout, take a step back, pause, and figure out where the hell are you marching towards and why are you doing what you're doing? Because if you don't have that, it's just not going to be enjoyable. You're not going to know why you're doing those things that you have to do, you know, all the, all, especially when it comes to like activities that you don't enjoy, right? So every job has activities or tasks that fundamentally are, are not fun. It could be prospecting if you're in sales. It could be um, administrative if you own a business, right? And for me, it's accounting. There's always things that you just might have to do that you, you know, you don't enjoy. And those are the things that, if you don't know why you're doing them, it's like they're going to feel really hard. You're going to have a lot of resistance. And so I think the best practice is always mm -hmm. know what you're doing so you could pivot your time and spend it on things that actually give you energy and that you enjoy that drive you towards where you want to go. So for me, I've been doing corporate sales. I sell training programs to corporations. And what I realized is that doesn't give me a lot of energy. What gives me a lot of energy is working with individuals and coaching and actually training salespeople versus going to a company and working with the head of sales to train their team. Because if it's a company, the company's paying for it. Half the reps in there might not even want to be in that room. They're just forced to take the training. Or if it's an individual in my program, they want to be there. They're desperate. Yeah. They're investing. And those people are going to do whatever it is that they need to do. It's a different And level. they're financially committed to it, right? They've got oh, yeah. skin in the game at that point. And, you know, look, I've been through this exercise, man. And that's what I explain to everybody when they say, why is your price point? what your price point is. And it's really simple. I need you. I need to know who, who the people are that are committed. Right. That's right. right. If you're willing to stroke the check, then I know you're all in. So if you're not, then, then what are you doing? You're just looking for a, a social group to be part of or what? Yeah. And I charge, I charge an arm and a leg. I mean, I charge uh six, you know, six or I'm not six, but five figures at least to go into my programs. And, and, and it's a year long membership. So fun again, fundamentally, 
um, there are going to be people that are truly willing and able to invest not only the money, but in the time and, and in changing themselves to be able to be the, the type of person that can be a top producer. And because I was doing this corporate work, I wasn't able to devote as much time into making this program world class. And I found myself just prepping for corporate meetings, doing a lot of corporate sales. You know, some of those take four, five, six meetings to book a training program for a corporation. I'm like, this is pulling me away from what I really want to do, which is help individuals tap into that spark inside of them, that fire that lets you achieve literally anything you can dream of and more. When that fire is ignited, man, there's no stopping you. And in companies, when I'm working with them, I'm not activating that fire. I'm delivering a training program. And it's very different. And I said, you know what? I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to pivot my business model and only focus on the business to consumer side, the individuals that I'm training instead of training companies. And you know what? That means saying no to immediate revenue so I can say yes to greater revenue long term. To your point earlier, you know, the business model scales really well with the, with the coaching as a service. But it's it's it requires knowing what you want and knowing what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy. And so I think that foundation of like, why are you doing what you're doing? Who do I want to help? Who do I want to serve? You know, and, and basically, where do I want to spend my time? That That's something you're always doing year after year. And you may find, you know, hey, what I'm doing for my whole career isn't now filling the need of what I have. And I don't really need to do this anymore. And now I'm going to pivot so I can maybe hire somebody to take my place and spend more time with my family or go into something personal like coaching that I really enjoy in a different way and start a side business or a side hustle. So it, this is a constant evolution where when you reach the, the level of mastery or when you're a high performing, you're always going to be feeling like you need a new why, a new vision, a new purpose because you've gotten to, you know, you've achieved your goal. So it's like, well, what's next? And you, you just have to keep moving that puck to where you want to go. And it's something that I just had to do in my business um, by, by saying no to basically half my revenue from the corporate side, that'll let me say yes to really growing out and doing something even greater. So I think that's important to, to take away and it's it's everything because otherwise exactly. it's just, you're just in the, the hamster yep. wheel. You're just going through the motions and it's just not going to yep. be as, as fulfilling. So there's a lot of time traps for salespeople. I mean, that's one of the things we kind of talked about a little bit at the at the beginning before we started started recording. Talk a little bit about that though, because I mean, I know what I have to do for my calendar to stay organized and make sense to me so that I can function on a daily basis. Otherwise I'm toast, man. I'm just like you said, I'm the aimless person who looks yep. like they may be burnt out or a combination of the two And you know, in my world, if it gets on my calendar, it gets done period. Like that's where it has to go. You can send me an email to ask me if I haven't in mm -hmm. The least, my least favorite thing is the email that says, Hey, can I get it, catch a few minutes on the phone with you at three o'clock? Sure, use my calendar link, book a few minutes at three o'clock. I'm never going to be the guy who says, Yeah, I'll jump on the phone with you at three o'clock. I'll, I'll, I'll call you. What's the best number? Because what's going to happen? I'm going to get busy doing something else. I'm going to completely forget to call that person at three o'clock. And even though I have the absolute yeah. best intentions, yeah. that just made it worse. Right. Yep. So talk about some of the time yeah. trap salespeople fall into and how we can combat some of that proactively on the front end. 
Well, I think I think just zooming out. I love the question, David. And I'm, I'm a big big believer. You can talk to my wife, and you know, I'll, I'll give her a hard time. I'm like, you want me to get something done on a Saturday, or if we have a obligation for our family, get it on the calendar. Send me an invite. So now, now she's um, same adopting that because my, she knows my that's wife how even I, puts her work, like if she has to travel for work or whatever, she puts her trips on my calendar because she knows that's where I'm going to see him. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Mine's doing the same thing for like kids, doctors, appointments or whatever. So again, well, it's, it's probably where you, every day. you start your day. Yeah. You li- I live there. I li- so here's, I, I'm going to pan out and I'm going to give you some, some nuggets right now in time management, because this is probably one of my favorite topics. So the first concept I want to introduce to your listeners is something called RGAs. Now everyone's got a different acronym for this, but my acronym stands for revenue generating activities. Okay. In the world of sales, any kind of sales that you work in, RGAs are king of the day. So my my motto is RGAs all day. So there's two types of RGAs. The first type is creation of pipeline, okay? The second type is advancement of pipeline. And in sales, if you're selling new deals or even retaining customers where you're getting a residual revenue stream, um, if you're not focused on RGAs, the question is, what are you doing, right? So my my job is to make it so in my calendar, anything that I could delegate or automate, I'm doing and only focusing on customer-facing activities. Now, you could say, is this an RGA for me um, to go on a podcast? You know, it depends. I get a lot of business from podcasts. So yeah, it is an RGA and I count that as an RGA. Same thing with posting LinkedIn videos. So for me now owning a business, my RGAs have changed. It used to be prospecting, sending emails, researching accounts, looking at who my target audiences are, personalizing my message, learning about the person that I'm going to reach out, you know, relating, preparing for meetings, doing meetings. Those are all RGAs in terms of creating pipeline. But now my RGAs are more around marketing, right? So it's more about posting videos on LinkedIn, um, going on podcasts, you know, going to events and whatnot. So I'm still doing those RGAs regularly. And you want to have those RGAs for prospecting on the calendar consistently. So for me, I block off time to post every Tuesday and Thursday on LinkedIn. I also hired a virtual assistant to help with certain things that were low value activities. So for me, like putting my blog new is a low value activity, doing my newsletter and sending it out to thousands of people is a low value activity. Even though it's an RGA, it's something that I can delegate to someone else. So if you can get help with virtual assistants or people to take some of those low value tasks so that you can free up your time to really spend on customer engagement, advancing deals, making sure your current customers are happy. In my case, you know, focusing on building out this program, like you're only going to save yourself time and headache. So the, the the system I use for figuring out what are those activities is something called the Eisenhower matrix. Okay. And the Eisenhower matrix, think of it as four quadrants. The first quadrant is important and urgent. The second quadrant is important and non-urgent. So it's a T you draw a T on, actually I can do it right here, <laughs> do it right on one of my papers. So you have four quadrants, you have important and urgent is the first one important and non-urgent is the second quadrant the third quadrant is not important and urgent and the fourth quadrant is not important and not urgent so i'm going to show you what this looks like when you draw it out you have this four quadrants and 
what you want to do is you want to start by identifying, well, what is the activities that fall into each of these quadrants? Anything not important, you shouldn't be doing, period. So your time should only be spent on important activities. That is the number one fallacy that reps make is they're just wasting time on low value activities or not important and not urgent activities. So let's define what goes into these columns at a high level and then I'll, I'll um, give you examples of how to fix and get out of this trap. So important and urgent, what that is, is anything that's deal related. That comes first. So it's advancing pipeline. If I got a deal going, if you're trying to sell a large, you know, I don't know what kind of insurance you sell, if it's health insurance or liability, it doesn't really matter. But if you're selling to a large company and there's a deal in work, that comes first. Any follow-up to existing deals, any reconnecting, any proposals that you're preparing for, meetings you're getting ready for, and attending those meetings that are existing deals, that comes first. And I would also probably add renewals of existing customers to make sure that they continue if you're getting a revenue stream. That goes in the important and urgent, advancing and closing deals. The second thing, so, so I start my day, look at my pipeline, anything in the current pipeline for current deals I do first. Those are, that's, that goes in my calendar. So connect with this person on this deal, get out this proposal, get this contract signed, create this contract, whatever those are. The next thing, once I'm done with those, I move to prospecting. So creating pipelines. So I'm going to make new videos or I'm going to call potential customers. I'm going to send out emails. I'm going to create email campaigns. I'm going to refine my list. I'm going to pick up the phone and start prospecting, right? That goes in important and not urgent. So if you're literally advancing deals and then um, creating deals, then, then you're, you, the bulk of your time is spent there. You're going to kill it. The reality is most sales reps only spend a few hours a day on those activities and they're wasting time for, you know, a lot of non-valuable activities in those lower quadrants um, instead of the RGAs. So the lower quadrants, what are they? Well, there's important and not, I'm sorry, there's not important and urgent. So not important and urgent would be things that are basically low value. So for me, like getting my newsletter out, okay, or maybe a customer has an issue and I got to attend to it. Well, these are things fundamentally that you can delegate. Ideally, you can delegate this so to an assistant or to a customer success team or someone on your team. Maybe you hire if you need to, but fundamentally, if it's not important, but it's urgent. Usually those are other people's problems. In sales, if you have a manager, maybe they want your forecast. They need you to update stuff in the CRM. There's just stuff that happens that falls in that co column that you could delegate or you just block off a little bit of time to do each day so it doesn't become this thing that you're doing constantly. Um, so checking emails would fall under that, checking Slack. like It's like this fallacy of always being on calls. When you're always getting distracted or always giving into other people's urgency, you never get your work done because you don't focus on actually doing the thing that's right in front of you. And you have to go back and forth, back and forth. And it takes you five times as longer than just actually shutting it down, closing your email and actually closing your Slack and doing the thing that's actually in your calendar and important to do. So that's how you handle the urgent but not important column as you delegate it. And then the last column is not important and not urgent. Think of those as just distractions. And that's where, again, a lot of reps live. So maybe I go on YouTube. Maybe I'm checking my stock. Maybe I'm doing something that has nothing to do with work. I'm texting a friend. My wife's need some help with something. So you need to say no to distractions. You need to identify what are the distractions on your phone, whether it's a video game, whether it's a social media app, whether it's just bullshit that is taking money out of your pocket and say, no, just say no. 
And, and the best way to say no, in my experience, is if you actually remove that which is distracting you. So if you've got a trouble with watching videos on YouTube or listening to sports podcasts, like get that off of your computer. Put filters on your computer. Block it out. Get it off your phone. Those things that everyone struggles with, right? I just delete. So for me, getting Instagram off my phone, getting the news app, getting things that just are quick dopamine, quick distractions, that's made a huge amount of difference. It's not what you add to your calendar that makes you really, really effective and successful. It's actually what you remove from your life that gives space and time to do the things that actually help you grow and, and succeed. So that framework has been massive. And that's frankly where I spend a lot of time is this concept of addition by subtraction. By subtracting the stuff that doesn't serve us, it gives us space and time to add things that do. So it really, I'd start by identifying what are your distractions, what are your low value activities, and then start to you know minimize or eliminate go, those from your life. I mean, I can tell you, I, I'm not ready to commit to that. Like I can't take the stuff off of my phone and I realize that's weak of me, but in all seriousness, my phone's not my distraction. It's the tabs on my browser. So I don't have to do that. But one thing I have done is the last month I cheated a little bit this weekend, but for the last month I've stayed off social all weekend long. Mm -hmm. How's that been? All weekend. What's been the, what's been, been awesome, the man. It's been great. You know, I mean, I'm I'm involved with my kids. It's not like I'm playing on Facebook instead of paying attention to my family on a regular basis. But I find that I'm easily distracted on social because so much of my marketing is done there. And I go over there to interact or comment or whatever because there is a business uh, purpose involved with that. At the end of the day, when I'm working with somebody, one of the things I tell them that they need to do is define the hourly rate that they're willing to work for. Yeah. Period. If you understand that, yes. then you're not going to be doing anything outside of that. So I can tell you, my hourly rate's $500 an hour. I'm going to bill at $500 an hour. If you want consulting advice from me, that's what I'm going to charge you. There's a 100% chance that I'm going to limit and to try my best to exclude every activity in my daily professional life that is not bearing revenue at $500 an hour. Anything outside of that, I'm selling myself at a discount and I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people never go through that exercise. If you're interested in knowing what your rate is, look at how many hours you really work on revenue activity. So let's say you make 250000 a year. You're successful, you're, you're doing well, but you're actually only working 20 hours truly on revenue generating activities. You take that 250, divide it by 20 hours, that's 12500 Divide that by 48 weeks a year, which is actually how many weeks we're working when we factor in vacations or sick days or holidays, that comes up to $260 an hour. So a great way to calculate it is just take your annual income, divide it by how many hours are truly spent on those revenue generating activities and divide that by 48. And if someone were to tell you, you just spent two hours on your phone or messing around and you have to pay 520 bucks, right? They're going to think very differently to your point about wasting those two hours. So I, I tr truly do believe this is the secret to sales success. It's not, oh, I know some tactic or some way to respond to an objection. It's I value my time. I spend my time on high value activities and I basically have good self-discipline and, 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 and know what to say no to so I can say yes to the stuff that really matters. So I, I love that exercise, David. That's something I've been doing with my clients as well. Yeah, no, I mean that's the deal, man. I think that people it start people get distracted because they don't realize how valuable they are, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing. I've been in my industry for 20 years at this point. 
there's not a solution out there that you can get a USB dongle and plug it into your ear into a drive and download 20 years worth of experience. Yeah. It doesn't exist. The next best thing is to get yourself into an ecosystem with someone or other people who have already been down that road and flatten out the learning curve for you so that you don't make the same stupid mistakes they did. Right. And then you replicate the things that they did right in an effort to produce that kind of volume. But when we don't freaking identify what the baseline is. What's the point, man? And it goes into, I mean, in the next step is obviously you want to identify who your ideal prospect is, right? Who's your ideal prospect that you're going after? Well, obviously somebody that's going to generate you $500 or more an hour in revenue for the hours that you work on it. But if you haven't identified what your rate is, then how do you even know who your prospects are that are going to fit into that mold to deliver the financial result you have? People just don't are the, look. The business world, honestly, is not that difficult. Not. You you can break everything down not. into the very very basic things. And you know, I'm one of my good friends, Alan Stein Jr. You know, wrote the book "Sustain Your Game," and his his first book, which was um, what was it, "Raise Your Game." It it Alan's whole thing in working with professional basketball players and high level collegiate basketball players across the country is the people that are the absolute best never abandon the basics period. They embrace the mundane and the routine. And he always uses the example of Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant went to practice mm -hmm. hours before practice started because he wanted to be the absolute best. And until you can get yourself psychologically to a point where you're committed to yourself and your family and everybody else that you're going to be your best, the rest of it really doesn't matter. It's just it's just fun to think about, right? But you have to have that commitment. And once you do, you don't turn back. And I love I love what you said about embracing the mundane because on the road to mastery, there's going to be a lot of mundane work that frankly isn't fun. And we're in this dopamine crave society where people just want immediate gratification. And the reality is that the highest name, name the athlete, name the actor, name the business owner, name the entrepreneur, the highest performing successful people in the world across all industries are truly, you know, committed over a long period of time to the, the simple basic act of, of becoming masters through repetition and they're, they're delaying gratification. Jerry Rice says this in, in, in a perfect form. He says, I do today what others won't do. So I can do tomorrow what others can't do. And that's the problem I see over and over again with salespeople and um, just, just, I'm not going to knock any generational thing, but I'm, I'm 43 years old. And, you know, like I said, when I started, it was knock on doors, do this many cold calls, set these appointments a day so you can actually get out of your parents' house and be with your girlfriend. And, and that has stayed with me forever. But that I feel like people are so trying to find their purpose, their passion, trying to find, you know, the thing that's going to make them happy. But you know what makes you happy? Being consistent. And actually like working, I, I'm happy when I'm showing up fully and not in my head and I'm actually doing versus um, just thinking, right? So embracing the mundane is also doing the thing you don't feel like doing. Well, and, listen, and man, I, I'm going to make a really unpopular comment and I'm probably going to get some hate mail for this one and I don't care. But I can tell you right now, COVID separated the weak from the herd, period, in my opinion. The people who were strong and wanted to be strong, they doubled down on themselves at a time right. where they may not be able to cold call. That's great. You can't go cold call. 
Call twice as many people on the phone. Take some time out of your week to make yourself better so that when we're out of this mess, you're going to dominate on the streets because you've taken that time and consciously and intentionally invested it in making a better version of you so that when you go out there, you can win. And people didn't do that, right? The people who did are winning in droves right now. And the people who didn't, you can't even get them to come into the office and work a normal day. Right, Our office hours are 8 to 5. I have people right now that have not come into the office to work today. Why? Yeah. Just because you're a salesperson doesn't mean you don't need to keep a normal schedule, right? Right. I I do think, though, Ian, that it is a little bit of a generational thing. I mean, I'm 34, so like I'm kind of in the middle in my eyes. I I grew up having to like – that's one of the things my parents instilled in me was like just having that work ethic. And if you wanted something, you had to work for it. And – you know, when I was in college, like I, I had a bunch of different sales jobs because I was trying to pay rent for myself. I was trying to make sure I had dinner and stuff. And that's, I think that's something that's lost a little bit, you know, in, in the younger generation with the, um, you, you know, the uh, immediate gratification or instant gratification that you were just talking about. That's totally true. I mean, th- like, dude, I'm sitting on the couch the other day at the end of the day before my, I have a two year old son. And he's watching whatever bullshit show he's watching. I don't, it's, it could be anything. I can't even remember, but it had, it was on um, like Hulu and there's like a five second commercial or ad that pops up every 10 minutes and he's sitting there and he realizes and he's like, what, what happened? What happened? And I'm like, dude, it's a commercial. Relax. Your show will be back on in like 12 seconds. And he's like, (laughs) losing it. Now I understand these too, but that's the world that we live in these days where like kids don't even understand what a commercial is because they never have seen it. They've never experienced that. And I, and I think that there's definitely some truth to that. And it's crazy. I I mean it and it's not their fault. I mean, it's this digital era of social media, constant apps, constant entertainment. We just didn't have that. I had to go play outside. I I didn't have a phone until I was out of college. I mean, it, it fundamentally, and, and I, I'm grateful for it, but it's so true. It's it's the brain chemistry. Every time you go on social, every yeah. time you go on an app, every time you get a like or whatever, you're getting dopamine and, and your brain becomes starved for dopamine. And one of the things you can do is go on a dopamine detox. And that's how you can learn to embrace the mundane because you know what? Cold calling is not fun. Neither is doing research about your ICP. Neither is doing a lot of the sales right. activities that actually lead to making a million dollars in sales. That's just the reality of it. It's discipline, it's consistency, and it's mundane mastery, like like Kobe Bryant said, going to the gym, practicing, working on yourself. And, and that I'm I, I fear for society. I fear for the direction we're heading because people are so damn bored that they need a cause to get behind and they need to go in and like yep. find something to hate on or find something to believe in and it's dividing our country and you know what? at the end of the day fucking look in the mirror yeah. work on yourself and that's all you need to worry about and be the best person you can be and then everything else is going to work out but no you got to look everywhere else because people don't want to look in the mirror and they don't want to face reality so that's the world we're in and you know that that's if you want to be successful you don't need to reinvent the wheel you need to follow a lot of these basic fundamental mm-hmm. principles of success which I teach which you guys teach which Kobe Bryant talked about, and they're universal, and they will be forever taught because they work. Look, I'm like, man. I was going to say, like, you're getting me, you're getting me passionate because my wife and I, we talk every 
what that's do what people, she said. Oh, man. Where do they get all this time on their hands? Where do you get all this time to like go through and argue and get like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I can't have time to know whether this political debate or this thing that's happening in the news or this. I'm worrying about my business and my family and my kids and my exercise. Like, where do you get the time? So, you know, really get RGAs all day. You're not thinking yep. about, you know, all this other stuff external to you. You're worrying about your business. And, and that's what I would allocate for anyone in sales or anyone in business to, to work on themselves. Jim Rohn has a great quote on this. He says, if you work on your job, you can make a living. If you work on yourself, you can make a fortune because we always are, you know, needing th- to improve things about ourselves. Always. It never stops. But if you can keep that basic core values, core principles of like, Again, discipline, resilience, you know, trying to improve yourself and, and, and really humility, like you're going to be successful in, in business. I, you know, those things are, are not the reason people fail. OK, it, it's because they are not spending the time and they're not working on themselves and they expect the easy street. And there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. There's even the online business or whatever marketers are throwing mm-hmm. at you, make this money this fast. I'm sorry, doesn't exist. There's no way to make a lot of money and be very successful without work, right? The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. So, you know, that's just the way, that's just the way it works. 100%. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time, man, because we're wrapping up an hour of just high energy what we what did we forget? Did we leave anything un, untouched that needed to be addressed? Well, I, I think the audience here, you know, you own your own business, you own your own, um, you own your own companies. You're you're running on commission. I, I'd say being really clear on your vision that we talked about, knowing your why, resetting that, and then having specific targets around your income and who that's going to serve. Make it about others. I know we're talking about ourselves and be the best you can be, but ultimately to really succeed at the highest level, you have to make it about other people. It's who are, who are you going to help? You know, what legacy are you going to provide for others? So the more you can contribute, whether it's to your family, by leading by example, or whether it's to your team, by mentoring and sponsoring, or whether it's to yourself to be the, you know, the person that you deserve, your future yourself, right? It's all about who are you helping in the work that you're doing, your clients, your colleagues, your family, make it about others and not yourself. Let your ego go at the door. And that I think is foundational for success. We didn't talk a lot about the self, but help others get what they want and you're going to get what you want, period. That's the key in sales. There you go. How do they find you, man? I would say for anyone who likes this as a motivation, go to my YouTube, hit the subscribe Every week, I'll do a motivational video for salespeople talking about mindset and habits. Um, it's youtube.com slash Ian Koniak. Um, you could also go to my coaching platform website. It's untapyoursalespotential.com. That's untapyoursalespotential.com. And there you can check out my programs if you want to be part of the mastermind or if you just want to get my newsletter and just get uh, weekly motivational videos via email. Just go to untapyoursalespotential.com slash newsletter. And the final place is LinkedIn. Just shoot me a DM on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. I post there every single day content for salespeople. Follow my content. If you get a lot from this, shoot me a DM. Let me know how this has helped you. I love hearing about it. That's why I go on these shows and I wish everyone the best year of their sales career. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled, but I got a feeling there may be a mass exodus of people heading to Venezuela to teach in uh, English here in the next couple of days based on the energy you just brought. 
you won't come back in one piece. It's not the same country it was 20 years ago. So I would. I don't, even, I don't even think we can go down there, can we? Are we even allowed no, to go down there? Yeah, the money situation, the inflation there. You think it's bad here? Go to Venezuela. <laughs> I mean, they don't have currency. They don't have probably basic medical supplies. It would be go to Colombia instead. Take one country over. Go visit Colombia. Have fun there. That's true. Avoid Venezuela at all costs. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, man. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on. This has been a really good chat back and forth. You definitely brought the energy as advertised, so I appreciate that. Until next time, everybody, we will see you later. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>